Oh, hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blank. Super excited that you're here today to learn about apartment building investing to become financially free. Today in the show, we have celebrity guest Dave Seymour, who you may recognize from the very popular A&E show, Flippin' Boston. Uh, four seasons, the guy does. And uh, you know, it's one of these, you know, these reality TV shows, and it's crazy, the stuff that these guys do. And he's on the show today, but you know what? It didn't it always was like that. He has a, you know, the firefighter paramedic for many years broke and really clawed himself out after such a long period of time to where he got himself on this on the show flipping houses. And today he literally raises tens of millions of dollars for multifamily syndications. It's a crazy story. Yeah, Dave's kind of a crazy guy. And we get into a lot of different crazy things. How in the world did he do that? How did he get into that? How did he claw himself out? How did he get it on the show? You know, what kind of keeps him going? What's his definition of success? And it's a really great interview. I think we can get to know Dave a lot more and uh, really learning about what's important in life, how we treat people. And so let's get right to the show here with David Seymour. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me, buddy. How are you? Uh, it's great. No, I, the first question I got to ask you uh, is because you had four seasons on A&E in a show called yeah. Boston Flippers. Flipping, Flipping Boston. Bo- Flipping Boston. Flipping Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Boston Flippers. Same thing. So, Dave, so, so what do you got to do to get picked up uh, in, in your own show? I want to know. Um, you got to separate yourself from the pack, right? Okay. What is special about you? And at that time in my life, I didn't have a really strong financial career in real estate, but I was really good at spending money I didn't have. I was a financial donkey. So how could I separate myself from everybody else and say, hey, do a show with me? I used one of my biggest assets, which is profanity. That's yeah. Oh, is that right? The show. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I yeah. filled out an application with a lot of profanity. And um, I guess they, they recognized that this guy was either a, a genius or a lunatic. And um, I told him not to call me in the application, filled it with profanity, like go F yourself LLC was the name of the company I used. <laughs> and uh, they called. And when they called, they hung up and then they called back and the kid was laughing. So that's how it all started, Mike. It was crazy. It was crazy. I never thought we'd get a TV show. I was just, you know, messing around to see if see if I could get some traction for sure. Yeah, no kidding. But what were you doing at the time? And uh, like, uh, uh, I was, I was, yeah, I was firefighting. I was, um, I was a firefighter and a paramedic. City of Lynn, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. They call it Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. You never come out the way you went in. Uh, it's got its own little reputation. But yeah, I was fighting fires, um, spending money I didn't have. So I needed a second and a third job, uh, work construction. You know, I always say I was just, I was on a, an investor call about an hour before we jumped on. And the guy said to me, you're very direct. I said, look, man, I said, I'm a blue collar guy in a white collar world. I'm not going to dance around it. All right. The investment's $100,000. The opportunity's in front of you. Do you want it? Because if you don't want it, there's a thousand people who do. And he went, oh, that's very, all right, I'll do it. You know what I mean? So I, I bought that kind of firefighter background into everything that I do in business today. And, and you know, it's been, it's been profitable. It's been good. But yeah, fighting yeah. fires, brother. Fire, Fight, fire. Did, did you enjoy that? Because you did it for a good long while. Did 16 you years. Yeah, yeah, I did. I loved it. I loved it. I didn't like the politics. I didn't like the, you know, the BS that went with it all. But I tell you, it's, um, you know, if anybody listening has got that military background or, or something of that nature, you know, the, the faith in the person next to you 
is critical, right? And and what uh, you know, you can jump and leap that right into business as well, correct? So you know, faith in the people around you, camaraderie. You know, without getting overly dramatic, live or die. You screw it up, people die. You get it right, people survive, right? But, um, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an adrenaline guy. I always have been. I, I don't like to sit still. I always want to be in motion. And, uh, you know, the, the adrenaline rush from firefighting definitely fed the need for speed, baby. Yeah. Is, is, that, what, so, is, is that what kept you going for that long? Yeah, I think, look, Amazing. I w- it, it, was, it was that, it was, you know, the consistency of the job, right? But um, unless you're, you're self-employed or highly paid, you know, a J-O-B doesn't usually, you know, get you where you want to go in today's society. So, you know, I stayed in it that long for a couple of reasons. I was good at it. I loved paramedicine. I loved knowing that, you know, I could pull up on a, on a car accident or a cardiac scene or you know, pediatric situation, take a deep breath, go to work and, uh, you know, fix a, you know, look, when people meet you in a paramedic scenario, you usually meet them at the very worst time of their lives, right? And the impact that you can have in that short period of time, I believe that to be like a gift that was given to me to be in that position to do that. Like I, I felt at times I didn't earn it, you know, because people are so grateful when you can help, right? Service, service others. So, if I could be financially independent and still be a firefighter, I, I'd be honest with you, Michael, I think I would. I think I'd, I'd still do it. But, you know, there was no financial freedom attached to being a firefighter for sure. What made you realize that? Because you were there for, for a long time. What changed? <laughs> Man, you're going right at it. It was, uh, look, it was financial illiteracy. I was working 120 hours every week um, mm. trading time for money. You know, that's a broken business model today. It's a broken business model back then, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I, I'm that kind of a guy who doesn't give up. And I kept on and I kept on and I kept on and I ended up paying the price for that much time away from my family, which was, you know, a marriage, a, a relationship with my now 25-year-old son that I nearly lost altogether. Mm. You can't be a dad. You can't be a husband. You can't be a wife, brother, son. Uh, it's, you know, you're not there. Mm. And, um, you know, I was in a, I was in a financial situation that was not pleasant and I didn't know how to fix it. And, uh, I actually heard a, a, a an infomercial on, on the radio for, for a real estate seminar, you know, so look, some people go to Yale, some people go to Harvard, some people go to, you know, wall street. I went to the street. I mean, that's where I, that's where I learned real estate. I learned it on, on main street, not on wall street. And um, I got involved at, at a low level in the beginning. And uh, because I committed, I just kept on doing it. You know, I took my lumps and bumps along the way. I learned my lessons. Very proud to say I've never lost one dime of a private investor's capital has ever been with me in my 12-year journey. You know, I've taken a few bruises along the way, but they haven't. So that's, that's, that's where it started. That was the transition. I was beaten, I was beaten into submission. It wasn't like I woke up one day, Mike, and I go, oh, today's the day that I think I'm going to be a real estate investor, you know? So that's how it started. Yeah, it's interesting. I was beaten into submission as well, and I was very tempted to going back and getting a job. Mm-hmm. This was after having been entrepreneur for a while, and I got the snot beat out of me in my restaurant experiment, which is time sure. for another day. It yeah. sounds like you got the snot beat out of you a little bit as well, but why did you not go to the, quote, the easy fix, which is a job, right? Because you, you were used to having a job. Why did you all of a sudden go, you know, whatever you did, real estate, construction, yeah, why did you say, yeah. oh, I, let me start a new company? That's a sure yeah, thing. No, no, that's a great question, man. That really is. Because working with my back 
has a, it's got a ceiling to it. It's maxed out. Mm -hmm. It's maxed out. A job pays you one hour for your time. That's what a job does, right? End of conversation. It doesn't do anything else. And I had run out of time. So unless I could go get some kind of Harvard degree for four years uh, and then come back into the workforce at a higher educated level and apply for a different job, there was no growth there. I wasn't going to change my financial landscape by getting another job, Michael. It just wasn't on the cards. Mm. So it was a case of having to learn how to maximize my time. You know, what is your, a guy said to me one time, what is your time worth? And if I look at it today, I probably bill out somewhere around 4,500 to 5,000 an hour. That's what my time's worth today. Back when I was firefighting, it was worth 27, 30 bucks an hour, right? <laughs> so how do you make that kind of a leap? Well, that's, that's up to you, the individual. So what'd you do then? How'd you claw yourself out of that situation? slowly, inch by inch. So I got, I got educated. I'll be direct with you. I got educated in, in the seminar world of all places. You know, it was teach me foreclosure. This was in 2007. Teach me yeah. foreclosure, a free one and a half hour seminar coming to your neck of the woods, how to do business with other people's money, other people's time, other people's influence. And um, that's where it started. I, I went to that event and um, my now wife, Mary Beth, we were dating back then. She said uh, she came to that Sunday and it was like I could invest in some classes uh, with people who were not only teaching real estate, but actually doing real estate, which was very important to a guy like me, right? I'm tangible. I want to I touch it. And um, it was a $27,000 investment for like four or five classes, something like that, you know, fundamentals. She said, what do you think? I said, I can't trade any more time. I'm out of time, Mary Beth. I said, if you want a husband, if you want a life, if you want a relationship, I have to do something different. And she said to me, uh, she said, I support you. Go get him, kill her. She said, I'm proud of you. I love you. I'll, I'll do anything to support you. And that, she gave me permission that day to go be wealthy. Mm. And from a working class background, I wasn't always given that freedom. You know what I mean? And I went for it. I went at it with passion, man. With, with, I was aggressive. I'm going to be very frank with you. I was aggressive. Once I'd flipped that switch in my head, nobody was going to tell me I can't do something. Nobody was going to get in my way. And I did my first deal and I made $5,000. It was a wholesale deal. And I get a check. It was on a single family property. I get a check for five grand. And I didn't own the house, man. And I didn't, I, I, all I did was sell a contract. And I, I swear to God, I step out of the, the attorney's office and I'm waiting for the blues to, to light me up. Like I'm waiting for five oh because it felt illegal to me, you know. <laughs> but once I'd done that, nobody could ever tell me I couldn't. And I started looking around and I just paid attention. I paid attention to the people who were around me. I started paying attention to the people I listened to. Guy said to me one time, show me who somebody gets their financial advice from. I'll show you what their financial future looks like. And I went, holy crap. All I was ever told was to do it one way. And, uh, you know, it was a wholesale deal. And then it was a flip and then another flip and another flip. And then buy some commercial and hold it and sell it and cash flow it. And it just snowballed, man. And it grew and it grew. Got me out of, out of a pre-foreclosure scenario. When I started in real estate, I was potentially going to negotiate a short sale on my primary residence. That's where I was at. Three years later, I sold it for a $60,000, $70,000 profit, something like that. So, you know, real estate has saved my, you know, it saved my financial life. Money isn't everything. But what it did give me was it gave me the ability to be present with my, my now wife and my, my boys, my eight-year-old and my 10-year-old my son, you know. So uh, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for what it did for me. 
Well, and she was supportive of you because sometimes it can go the other way because, you know, you're not really providing for the family, you right. know, and uh, that could have gone the other way and it, and it didn't. And you, and you stuck with it too, which is amazing yeah. because a lot yeah. of people give up and, and you didn't. There's a book out there. I think it's called like Three Feet Short of Gold or something yeah. like that. Do you know the book? I do. And yeah. it's like, what, 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 is, what is that one thing more you could have done today? That's mm -hmm. the question, right? Did I leave it all on the field today? Did I really go for it? You know, did I slack off and go watch a rerun of freaking Oprah or something like that? You know, be, be accountable to thine own self be true is, is something that I learned along the way. And at the end of the day, nobody's going to do anything for me, right? I, I, I say to Mary Beth in the morning when I leave, I say, I love you. I got to go out and kill some dinosaurs. I'll talk to you soon, right? I got to go out and, and, and do what I do. And I don't know, it's in my DNA, Michael, but... Tell me I can't do something. Just, can't just do it, Dave. It. You're not good just, enough. You're wrong. <laughs> nice. Let me show you. Yeah, I was on the yeah, phone yeah. with uh, I was on the phone with a um, broker out of New York, right? And it's amazing how you know finance has so much pretension attached to it. It really, it really, it does. It entertains me because it really smites of insecurity that you know I'm on the call, I'm on a call with this guy and he saw our PPM he saw the one page on our on our PPM offering that we're doing right now and um, he tried to pick it apart just to make himself feel better an investor would need to see uh, you know some kind of guaranteed return i said let, let me there are no guarantees in real estate i said but did you look at the PPM it does offer a preferred 6% to the investor. Oh, it's got a pref in there? I said, yeah, you, you didn't read it? No, 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 I, I skimmed through it, I skimmed through it. Uh, and then he starts to go after the integrity and the history and everything else. And I'm like, you know, in the back of my head, one side of me wants to rip him a new one, right? And just go all Hulk you know, ah, and destroy, you know, go firefighter Dave on him. But then the mature side of me is like, you know, he's more to be pitied than scolded because he's working primarily in the stock market, right? Mm -hmm is such a volatile environment for, for somebody to, to trade in, let alone invest in, right? And guess what? At the end of it, he said, I might, I might want to put a million dollars in your fund. And you know what I said to him? Unfortunately, you're not a good fit. That's what I said. To him. <laughs> That's <laughs> so funny. At the end of it. That's so funny. But I meant it. I meant it, Michael. I, yeah. I, look, man, I, I want relationships first, capital second. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I don't, I don't right. want to push any donkeys up any hills today, you know? There was a, a scene in one, of, in one of your shows I was looking at, and you, uh, you, you, you screwed up putting on a handle on a cabinet. Yeah. You, like, drilled the holes in the wrong place. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. What's, you know, and it's, it's like one of those things, like, what do you feel like you're, you're really good at? And maybe what are you not so good at? Yeah, great. Great question. You know what? It's, what I, I have this conversation at home a lot. When you've spent 16 years as a frontline firefighter and a paramedic, trust me, you know what an emergency is, okay? Like, I know what a real emergency is. So one of the things I'm really good at is assessing the landscape and executing so that everybody wins. I'm really good at that because I don't have pride or ego that get in the way. I don't have any fear attached to it because I conquered that a long time ago, right? A long time. Fear stands for false education appearing real or false evidence appearing real. So I'm really good at taking action. What I'm not particularly good at are the details. Actually, let me be honest with you. I suck at the details, all right? Don't, don't ask me to create a spreadsheet, a flow chart. Don't ask me to, don't, 
What I'm really good at is looking another investor or a partner in the eye, shaking their hand and giving them a sense of confidence in what the journey that we're going to take together is going to be successful for everybody. That's really what I'm good at. I instill, as the CEO of my company, I lead. I lead by example and I lead through confidence and people are attracted to that. Uh, it's not like a, a conscious thing that I do every day. Like I'm going to get up today and be a leader. No, that's not what I do. I'm going to get up today and make the decisions that some people are too scared to make or, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's that's how I'd sum that up, if that makes any sense. <laughs> but it, it, uh, it does. And I think we, we all have to figure out what our strengths are. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes we try to make up for our weaknesses or we try to improve our weaknesses, which is not fundamentally wrong, but it's, it's kind of a little bit lost. It's not very productive. Yeah, outsource it. Well, I was going to say, how do you how do you overcome your your weaknesses then? So if you don't have the attention detail, how do you take care of that part? Because that does have to be taken care of at the end of, of the day. No, of course it does. So at our company, there are three fund managers. So there's the CEO, uh, the CIO, the chief investment officer, and then the COO, chief operations officer. I always, when I do the O's, I always want to break into old McDonald at a farm, E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> so anyway, there's all the O's. But the, our COO, Eric Wilson, is um, 25 years old. I stole him from Fidelity. He was writing code for Fidelity to predict uh, market cycles. So he's got that intelligence level that is way above me. I mean, if I want to create a process, if I want to make something simple and easy and timely uh, and efficient, he does that. He creates you know, marketing flow for, for our clients. He creates back office systems for our employees. He creates databases that we use consistently for analysis. So that is his role. And I tell you, man, as a, as a, as a CEO of a company, one of my biggest challenges is I think I can get out of my lane at any time. And as soon as I touch something, which is not my core competencies, Mike, I break it. I screw it up. I am now deficient instead of efficient mm -hmm. for my company. So knowing what I am not good at and then being able to identify somebody who's exceptional at it and then bringing them in as value has been an absolute game changer for me as, as an entrepreneur. And the same thing with, with our chief investment officer, Walter Novicki, done a quarter of a billion dollars worth of real estate transactions in the past 10 years in his career raised $125 million in private equity, private capital, got a buy box and a system for the assets that we bring in. All I have to do is look pretty and raise money. That's all I have to do. And out of those two, money raising is the only one I'm really good at. The other pretty ones <laughs> But really, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell to simplify it down, just staying in my lane. We talked about you raised a lot, lot of money, and when you get to a certain, uh, you, you don't get to raising that kind of capital without building some kind of platform. Now, certainly having a show in A and E certainly is a pretty strong sure. component of your platform. But how did you, over the years, build your platform that allows you to raise tens of millions of dollars? Yeah, authenticity. That's one word. One word. You know, we're in a, we're in a society today where people are so in tuned to. You know, like the, like the snake oil salesman, right? They're so in tune to that. So everything that I've done in business, whether it be from a stage in a teaching environment, so I, you know, I've, I've taught real estate with, you know, Damon John from Shark Tank on one side of me and Robin uh, and um, uh, Tony Robbins on the other, right? Rather than be a showman, 
I've, I've focused on being a show you man, right? Show me, show me the details, show me the track record. Be honest when, when you don't know an answer and you don't, you, you don't bullshit. I mean, just, just be real. And, you know, I have seen a lot of quote celebrities in, uh, in business fail miserably because they, they got away from their authenticity. They got away from truth. You know, I find that people will absolutely, and it's old, but it's still so true. People do business with people that they like. They want to find some commonalities. I've been blessed in the crazy life that I've lived, that I've, I've, like I've, I've, I've gone through all kinds of, you know, personal experiences that I can find commonality with anybody. I don't care whether you're a, a billionaire or whether you're, you know, you're, you're just trying to rub a couple of nickels together right now. I can find commonality in places of, of parallel with people. If, you, if you're always searching for somebody else's need before your own, that platform elevates because you're of service, right? Of service, of service, of service. You know, I'm not a religious guy, but I'm a man of faith. And I just say, hey, let me be the best I can be today and help somebody else out along the way. You know, if you live that as well as like talk it and people resonate and they see that, raising capital isn't that, that hard. And here's what's interesting. And I know you'll, you'll, you'll testify to this too. Now, People have so much fear around capital because of COVID and all of the craziness. It's actually easier to raise capital in a fearful environment than it is in a, in a, you know, a complacent environment, you know, for want of a better term. So, look, man, in one word, Michael, it's authenticity. Tell the truth. Be who you are. Don't pretend, you know. And if you don't know the answer, say so. But I'll find the answer for you, sir. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Military. It looks like your biggest challenge right now. Because we all have challenges and it may be a different level, but you're probably at one point going, hey, I need to get to the next level. I'm dealing with this. Like, what are you dealing with right now? Getting qualified funds through the different companies to get the capital into our fund. So a qualified fund, a self-directed IRA, a solo 401k, uh, a lot of the custodians are so, it's almost archaic. They're so heavy in their paperwork deliverables. It can be a challenge because look, when, when somebody writes a check or makes a financial commitment for $250, $500, a million, you know, with all the intelligence, it's still an emotional decision that they're making, all right? It's still an emotional decision. And it's very difficult to overcome that buyer's remorse if there isn't speed of execution when somebody gets to a yes, okay? So what we've had a tough time doing, and we've, we've dialed it in now, was what, and you say, what am I good at? What am I not? My partner, Eric, took all of the documentation from um, the various big custodians that control self-directed IRAs, et cetera, et cetera. He took all of their, their paperwork, if you will, then got it through DocuSign, automated it, so mm. it sits on our end of the equation. So now I can get speed of execution because they want to invest, but they don't want to wait 7, 10, 14 yeah. you know, six weeks or whatever it is to get that capital through. So right now there's, there's somewhere in the region of 10 to 15, I think it is, million in proven capital, you know, the, the coming from uh, retirement accounts, et cetera, coming through the pike. So that, that's been a challenge. And then, and then getting to the right audience can be a challenge as well. You know, what does your marketing system look like? We've been through a couple of marketing um, challenges along the way. Uh, we've just dialed those in. And then on a smaller scale, the you know, the meet and greets are a challenge right now, obviously because of COVID, but, um, you know, we've worked around that. So now we do, 
investor luncheons at high-end steakhouse, but instead of doing, you know, one with 200 people, I've got to do, you know, 10 with 20 people. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, it's, it's all good. It's all good. You just keep going at it. What kind of assets do you guys buy? Like, what are you guys yeah. doing right now? Uh, we, are, we are exclusively in the multifamily commercial arena. The reason we've done that is, is again, my, my chief investment officer, Walter, that 125 in cap raise deployed and paid back with 20% IRRs was in the multifamily arena. And the reason that we're there is because we know statistically people will pay their rent first. You know, a lot of Americans are going to face some pretty substantial financial challenges, you know, into Q4, Q1, Q2. We're in a position to capitalize on what COVID brings to the market, uh, but also at the same time, be able to service these people when they're going through their tough times, right? Um, a reduction in rent is okay because we buy based on reduced rent pricing. Vacancies are okay because we buy with vacancies in place because that affects our NOI. Our NOI is the number that we're using to make our offer. So we're always in a protected position. So multifamily assets. And what we've dialed in is the Gulf Coast of Florida, which is where Walter has done the majority of his work. Mm. All of the metrics in that area work, even with COVID. There's still an influx, a huge influx of people coming into that market. A lot of folks from the Northeast come in there. And we see ma massive opportunities in, in that arena. And we focus on 40 to 140 unit complexes. We're not interested in the 200, the 250, the 300. No interest. And here's why. My investors expect cash flow ASAP. The time it takes to reposition a larger asset is a deficit to them getting that cash flow sooner rather than later because it's like trying to turn the Titanic. Whereas with the 40 to 140s, I think of them as like little speedboats, right? We can get in there, bad management out, our managers in, get some nice repairs going on in there, fluff and buff the unit, Raise the rents if you can, fill vacancies, cash flow, you know, right out of the gate. So that's, that's, that's where we buy and that's why we buy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. What, what's what's kind of next for you guys then? Uh, fun two. So fun two. Good. Fun two. So fun one is a, is a hundred mil. Mm -hmm. uh, we expect to be fully capitalized by end of Q2 next year. So while that's going on, um, we're obviously building the infrastructure for fund two, which will be 250. Uh, in that fund, we may do a reg D fund attached to that as well. Uh, sorry, a reg A fund attached to that and allow non-accredited investors in as well. But as I'm sure you know, the SEC only allows a certain amount of non-accredited investors into a fund. We'll always be buying multifamily. And then we'll start to look at direct lending piece of our fund. So coming from the single family buy, fix and flip world that I've been in, you know, my proficiencies are incredibly high. So to know what deals to lend capital on and what deals to not lend on is, uh, you know, it's in our wheelhouse, kind of do that with your eyes closed. So there's an opportunity for us to pay some very nice returns to our investors when we're lending to other investors on buy, fix and flip at, you know, 12 to 14%. There's plenty of margin in there for our investors to do exceptionally well on those kinds of loans as well. So that's, that's the big picture plan. You know, Q2 fully funded, we'll already start probably fund two by, by the end of Q1 um, and get that up and running. And, um, you know, diversify out a little bit more into what it is that we do. I'm still not excited about retail, Michael. I'm not excited about office space. 
you know, the guy who's all excited about buying it for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar today, I'll probably be buying it from him, you know, for 25 cents on the dollar, right. you know, Q3 next year. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But that's a, that's a scary landscape. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it doesn't excite yeah. me either. No. Hey, you know, let, let me let me say something else here. You know, like uh, how has your definition of success changed over the years? Wow, that's a great question, man. You know, I I think true success is inside the four walls of my house. Honestly, I do. You know, business is business. Business is 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 a challenge. You know, if it wasn't a challenge, then then everybody would be in business, right? So I embrace, I embrace the challenges in business. And, um, you know, are there people more successful than me? Yeah. Are there people less successful than me? Yeah. What is your definition of success in business? I think everybody feels good about what we're doing. Clients, team, right? Vision. Um, that's a definition of success. But I think the true definition of success is, you know, when I get home, my kids run towards me instead of away from me. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, I got my 15-year wedding anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. And as far as I know, she still loves me, right? She tolerates, she tolerates, you know, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly that, that happens when you're out there in the, in the big world. So if I can be in peace, if I can, you know, do a little meditation in the morning and not, not have my brain screaming and shouting at me, you know, if I can find time to work out a little, if I can find time to say, you know what, Dave, not another bowl of ice cream, you're all good. You know, if I can focus on, on my well-being, physical, mental, and spiritual, then I think, I think you know, having a, a commitment to those things first, you know, it gives me a foundation to be successful in other things going forward. And again, a little bit of faith, right? I, I'm not a religious guy, but I'm a man of faith, you know, knowing that I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. You know, I pray his definition of success, pray that you replace my fear with faith. And when I believe that and feel it, that's success for me. So there you go, man. We got a little personal there, but that's who I, that's who I am. That's great. I think that's, that's fabulous. You know, I learned through some of the crap I went through as well as being at peace despite what's going on. That is a strong component of success. And it does go back to faith because, you know, someone's looking out for you. Right. And uh, it gives you just a lot of strength, even though, you know, the crap's hitting the fan somewhere around you. It's, it's, faith, it's faith and family, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, give you a perfect, I'll give you a perfect example of when, you know, not on the beam, if you will, a definition of being either on the beam or off the beam. I came home from the office, I don't know, maybe a month, two months ago, whatever it was. And as I came through the door, I say hi to everyone, you know, kiss on the head, kiss on the head, kiss on the back of the head for my wife. And then, you know, I went into my home office, immediately open up my computer. And in my, my 45, in my periphery, I see my little eight-year-old, Bennett. Bennett's, uh, he scares the crap out of me. He's like a little nemesis. You know, he's like me in a small form. He's very, uh, he's very strong. He's the smallest one in the family. He's the youngest son, you know, like he's fighting for everything every day. But I see this skinny little kid in my periphery. And he's, he's wearing glasses now. And he looks at me and he goes, I go, what's the matter, buddy? He goes, Dad, it's got to be pretty tough, huh? I go, what, buddy? What? He goes, you work all day and then you come home and you got to work some more. Dad, that's just not acceptable. <laughs> well, that's classic right there. Oh, what can that's you it. say to that except for shut down your laptop and go, that's, oh, my God. That's exactly it. Shut down a laptop. <laughs> And then you look at him and I, and I say to him, I said, so how was your day? And then he starts on this big tirade of stuff that I, it makes no sense to me whatsoever, right? No sense at all. 
that's, I think, a definition of success at a, at a micro level. You know, Tiger Woods' father, if you've read any of the Earl Woods stuff or Tiger stuff, Earl Woods, when he would really, you know, want to be connected to his son, he would kneel down and make sure he was eyeball to eyeball. You know, I'm six foot three, I'm 220 pounds, I'm a big dude. And that's a little eight-year-old body right there. It's, it's got to be kind of intimidating, right? So I always, I always try and deploy some of those, those parenting techniques. And look, man, I fail and succeed 100 times all in one day. It's consistency is what we, uh, you know, what we kind of shoot for. So, Dave, how can people uh, find you? How can they find me? Just look outside. I'm in the bushes right now. You can find me. <laughs> There he is. Oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> there he is. I always used to say to my contractors, you're never going to get ahead of me. And they go, why? I go, because if you get ahead of me, then I got to come over your house. I got to wait outside in the bushes. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> they look at me like, this guy's crazy. crazy. I'm not in your bushes. Look, you can get a hold of me. You can find us at freedomventure.com, freedomventure.com. We just launched something, and is it okay to just talk about a little thing we got going on, Michael? Sure. Yeah, we just launched a um, Freedom Venture uh, Investor Club. One of the things that I have learned along the way is is uh, an educated investor is definitely a smarter investor. They're more valuable to me as a fund manager, and obviously their their value increases. So if you go to freedomventure.com, freedomventure.com, I'm not sure if it's up there yet, but at the top there, there'll be an investor club. And it's a, it's a short commitment. It's a couple of grand just to be in the, in the group. 500 of that two grand is actually a charitable contribution to Tunnels to Towers, uh, which is a foundation that's very dear to me and also to Walter. Walter's ex-military, I'm ex-firefighter. And then that 1500 is just to keep somebody committed. And then we're, we're going through a, a one-year program where we're actually teaching what we're doing in the fund. Uh, some investors like to be passive. Some investors want to be active. And then the deals that don't make the fund, we can also share those uh, with our in- investor club as well so that there's, there's a little bit of deal flow going on. So we're excited about that stuff. So freedom, freedomventure.com, um, you can find us over there and uh, look around. And if you're an investor, check out our PPM and our portal. One of our team will have a conversation with you, find out what your investing goals are, and maybe we can help you out. Sounds good. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun, Dave. Uh, great getting to know you. Uh, so thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate you, Mike. Thanks, man. Have a great day. What I love about Dave is from early on, he just committed to the activity, not so much to the outcome. This is what Hal Elrod talks about in his book, The Miracle Equation, which we haven't read it before, is uh, super powerful. And it took him a long time. He was not an overnight success. Uh, the other thing I love about about uh, Dave is he's just he kind of just does stuff, almost like impulsive. Like he's, he says yes to opportunity that comes along. Reminds me of another great book called uh, The Untethered Soul. You can find it on Amazon, The Untethered Soul by, um, what's his name, Michael Singer, where this guy like basically totally broke, decides to trust the universe or whatever by saying yes to everything that comes along. <laughs> and it's it's funny because it, it, all these things, he ends up being the CEO of a billion-dollar company. It's really amazing. And my sense from talking to Dave is he just said yes to a lot of things, and and he's not afraid to think big because he keeps saying yes to things. I think it's a powerful combination. So check him out. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy. Also, um, he certainly is working on a fund 
We are also uh, working on a fund and um, well, we're raising, I was raising money. We'd love to have you in our investment club. If you want to find out more, go to nighthawkequity.com and click the join club to join our club. Um, and then uh, you can schedule a call with us and have a conversation. We just closed on a 130 unit deal in Atlanta and it was amazing. The only thing that wasn't amazing is that there were so many other people that wanted to get into the deal and the deal just wasn't big enough. So we're working like crazy on sourcing additional high quality deals for you guys. Uh, but we do need to have a conversation with you before we can do that. So go to nighthawkequity.com forward slash join. Uh, we're also really excited that we have a full-time investor relations person on board and really serve our investors better. We've done an okay job, but man, there's a lot of room for improvement and uh, it does require focus. So I'm really excited about that. Also excited about since COVID, we had four students who joined our mentoring program close deals. That is insane. People are actually closing deals. Uh, we closed a deal during COVID. We actually sold three deals during COVID. So deals are still getting done, contrary to popular belief. And so we're excited about our mentoring program because it's working so well. In fact, we have a 12-month guarantee that if you don't do your first deal, then we continue working with you until you do. And we can do that because we've helped so many people do their first deal. We've kind of figured it out. We have a blueprint and it's really, really effective. So you want to check it out, go to the Michael Blank com forward slash mentor and schedule a strategy session with us no obligation just have a conversation with us see if that's right for you if you value mentorship you have the ability to invest in yourself in that way you'll be the best way to accelerate your outcome and become financially free so hope you guys were inspired today's uh, interview with dave seymour catch you guys in the next episode thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael block for more free podcasts articles and videos go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.